<clears throat> we're going to talk this morning, the title of this, this thing that I'm sharing with you, I don't know what to call it, my heart, but it's, hey, Ma, what's cooking? Everyone loves the smell of something wonderful cooking away in a crock pot, on the stove, in the oven, on the grill, in the pressure cooker, in the roaster, in the smoker, the outdoor campfire, and even the microwave. And nowadays, there's all kinds of newfangled ways to cook. My kids have been telling me, Mom, you got to get an air fryer. I'm not sure I'm going to go there because it's just me and him, and we've been managing all these years without an air fryer. I'm not sure I'm going there. But anyway, there's all kinds of ways. Um, and it doesn't matter what method that you use to cook up or stir up a rude meal when you're hungry. It is wonderful to have a plate or a bowl of delicious, ta tasty food set on the table in front of you. When you're a kid growing up, you don't realize all that moms go through to do that kind of thing, but moms know, don't we? Yeah. I can remember one special time where I, the, I think the first time that it occurred to me that food was ministering to me. I was a very picky eater all my life. You can tell I'm not now. I got over it. Jesus healed me. <laughs> but I was a very picky eater. And when I went away to college, we were at a small Bible college in Fresno, California. And they did not have a big budget for food. It was obvious. Because everything that they would serve, it was like, what is that? And because I was a picky eater, it was just like, ooh. I couldn't hardly bring myself <laughs> to eat sometimes. And I spent a lot of that semester... Uh, the first semester, eating butter bread, because you could have all the butter bread that you wanted. So I would have butter bread. And then on campus, we had an old uh, Dr. Pepper soda machine that had bottled Dr. Pepper in it that was so cold. So I think I lived on butter bread and Dr. Pepper. And because we were in California, there was a, a guy that had a big orange orchard that he had bought for another investment property. But in the meantime, it was still growing oranges, and oranges were being produced. And he would come at, at the right time, and he would open up the doors to our dormitory, and he would just dump uh, oranges. And man, I'm telling you, they were good oranges. They were very good oranges. And we, everybody would go out and gather up the oranges and put them in our, in our room, you know, because those were going to be prime food <laughs> for the next few months. And they were. They were good. But I remember, I guess, the very first time that I really felt ministered to by food. And uh, the pastor's wife, where the little church that we attended there, uh, she was a wonderful cook. And there were a lot of students that went to the college that, went to the college that came to the church. And on Thanksgiving... A lot of kids went home for Thanksgiving that lived close, but all of us that were further away, like in, you know, I was from Illinois, and here I was in California, and my mom and dad were not going to fly me home just for a meal on Thanksgiving. So there were a lot of us in that, in that position, and the pastor's wife would just invite anybody who was left on campus. She'd say, just come to the house. And I remember after a whole semester of just yuck food, it was horrible, I have to tell you, it was bad. I remember walking into her house, it was a little parsonage that was by the church, and I remember walking into that house and the smell, the aroma of that food was just, oh, 
It was just wonderful. And it ministered to me. I was homesick. And it was a ministry. And Aaron told me I was going to get up here and cry. And I'm already, I told her I wasn't. And here I am already. You guys just have to put up with it. I'm sorry. I don't know what else to do, but just be me. But I remember that. And I remember discovering a new restaurant, someplace that I had never been before that was called Taco Bell. And, and when I was going to Taco Bell and frequenting it in college, you could get a taco for, guess what, 19 cents. It was amazing. And I remember when my mom and dad came to get me when school was over and they were going to bring me back home, bring all my stuff and bring me back home. I told my dad, I said, Dad, I've got to take you to this place called Taco Bell. And he's like, what? Because my dad really liked to eat. And we went over there and he ate him a taco. And he said, I'm going to get me another one of them. And so that was really the first exposure that we had to tacos. But anyway, we had Taco Bell and dad was happy and we went home. Another time, my grandson, Ben, since we've lived here, was sitting at my house, and he was probably about seven years old, and I'd fixed us all something to eat, and he sat down, and he began to eat, and he closed his eyes, and he said, Mmm, Grammy, this food is a blessing to my body. <laughs> that made me laugh then and smile, and it still does. It's, it's, it's a good one. I'll always remember that. Do you think that this Grammy heart, Grammy's heart wasn't swelled by his appreciation of my effort? You betcha, Red Rider. He made me smile then and today, and it's a memory I will keep forever. By the way, if you didn't know already, Grammys will turn the world upside down for that kind of praise. So if you're a, you have a Grammy somewhere, <laughs> praise them. They'll do anything for you. But Ben was right. Food is a great blessing to our bodies. It's a necessity for human life. But it also can bring us great delight and comfort when we get to experience it in our mouths. Let me hear you say amen. Everybody likes to eat. Eating's good. Now, I've had my share of cooking mishaps and occasional triumphs in the kitchen. I am not a great cook. I can eat, make edible food, but... You know, there are some people that really love to cook, and they like it, and Connie's one of those people. She, she's like, every time you talk to her about cooking, she said, oh, I love to cook. That's not me. <laughs> one of the worst mistakes that I ever made here was after the holidays one year, I had made all kinds of desserts and cheese pies and cakes, and I had never attempted to make a real cheesecake. You know, the kind that you have to make in the fancy spring form pan. And I had overpurchased cream cheese because there was evidently a big holiday sale. And I had all this cream cheese sitting in my refrigerator. I'm thinking, what am I going to do with it? And I'm, I know what I'll do. I'll make a real cheesecake. So I went out and bought me a spring form pan. I can't even say it. Spring form pan. And I looked up recipes and I found one that's called Chantel's New York Cheesecake. That sounded fancy. <laughs> and it seemed simple enough. The only problem that people seemed to have with it when they were making it was that when the cake would cool, it would crack in the middle and leave these big, deep cracks. And so I thought, well, I don't want my cheesecake to crack. So 
I proceeded to make sure that how to make the perfect cheesecake. I studied it out, and the day finally came. My cream cheese was getting ready to go bad. And I baked the cheesecake, and it was beautiful. That It was so pretty. It looked perfect. I took the sides off of the springform pan, and it was just perfect. There was no crack in the middle. And I was so excited to share it with my family. I did it. I was so proud. I was waiting for them to tell me just how wonderful it was. Erin was the first one that took a bite of it. And she took a bite, and I said, what do you think? And she said, it's weird. <laughs> and I said, I don't, surely not. There's not that many different ingredients that it can't be weird. So I took a bite of the cheese part on the top of her cake, and I said, there's nothing wrong with that. That's delicious. That's wonderful. But she was never one to mince words. She said, Mom, it's weird. So one by one, my family tasted it and took a little piece of it, but no one was really doing much more than that, and there wasn't a lot of praise going on about it. And I chalked it up to thinking that everyone was just fooded out from the holidays. They were sick of desserts and stuff. So my cheesecake sat in the fridge for a few days. And I thought, well, no, if, if no one's going to eat this cheesecake, I'm surely not going to eat the whole thing. So I'm going to get a little bite, and then I'm going to throw the rest out. And I was feeling very unappreciated by my family, that family, to make them something wonderful to eat. And they didn't care enough to even eat it and act nice about it. But suddenly, after I took a big bite... I thought, this tastes weird. <laughs> and while I was sitting there thinking, what is that taste and where did that come from? I, during my holiday cooking, had made something with graham cracker crumbs and I had run out of the box of the crumbs, so I had taken some graham crackers and crushed them up and I had leftovers. I put them in a baggie and I put them in my pantry. And then later on, I had also used a portion of a box of dried cornbread dressing. And I had saved the remainder of it in another baggie. The longer that cheesecake sat in the refrigerator, the more it absorbed the seasoning of the dressing mix, and it was nasty. The moral of this story is label your leftovers. But through the years, there have been a lot of cooking failures on my part. But if you know my family, you know that I managed to keep them alive and fed. I'm not a great cook, but I can make edible food. Moms, from the outset, there are demands for food from your people. Feeding your people is one of the things that we must do in some way, shape, or form to sustain their lives, even if we don't really know how. We have to find a way to feed them. Uh, there's a quote that goes around on Facebook every once in a while. It says, who knew that the hardest thing about being an adult was deciding what to fix for dinner every night for the rest of your life until you die? It's hard. Mothering is all about nurturing, though, and feeding is a part of nurturing. Whether we are literally mothers or fathers, we all have people who are looking to us for care and nurturing, friends, family members, even just acquaintances. We all want our people that are around us to prosper and grow and develop and mature properly. And in order for this to happen, we have to be careful about what and how we feed them. Just as important as physical food, we must be mindful about the intangible things that we're feeding into their lives. Your people are counting on you. 
in more ways than you know. So can I ask you, hey, Ma, hey, Pa, what's cooking? What's stirring in your pot? What are we serving up on purpose to those who we are responsible to lead? Without an understanding and an embrace of our purpose, we find ourselves just drifting, don't we? You know, I mean, I admire these mothers who do, like, these menus, and I admired them all the years my children were home, and I never did it. They make menus, they made grocery lists, and I was more of a, my family was more of a, you know, we'll face that when it gets here. <laughs> had, had that kind of an attitude, and I grew up with that, and that's what I like to do. I face it when it gets here. But we can be sure of this as God's people that we are not here just to drift. Aimlessness is akin to lifelessness. I read a devotion the other day, and the writer talked about being out working in his yard, and he began to look at the dead leaves on the ground, and the Lord brought this to his mind. Leaves are a little like people today. Though they move a lot all over the place, they're dead, full of motion, but empty of life. No aim, no focus, malaise. They don't give a rip. Apathetic. Now, we aren't intended to be a dead leaf lying in the back of the yard of the world. God has a purpose for us. Just look around at the world and look at the condition of the world. And I was thinking about, you know, all the stuff that you hear and you see on the news. It's just garbage. There's so much stuff. And I thought, they are, the world is in a place of definition of dissipation of a person or a way of life. It's overindulgence in sensual pleasures. And if our families, all they ever feed on is what the world has to offer, in other words, junk food, it will only bring them harm and not help. So all of that responsibility seems heavy, doesn't it? You know, when you think about parenting and you're responsible for children, and, you know, I, whenever I had my kids, I thought, I, I was one of those people that I didn't, like I told you, I didn't plan, so I didn't think about what I was going to eat. And I was about this big around back then. That's when I was a picky eater that I got deliverance from. But I was about this big around, and when I got married, I married a husband that was like, what are we having for dinner? What's for lunch? What's for breakfast? What are we having for dinner? What's for lunch? Let's go get a snack. Let's go to the, let's go to the donut shop. I mean, he was just, like, obsessed with food, and I'm thinking, ah. You know, I had another little friend one time that she was about this big around, and she had this voracious appetite. She could eat from the time she got up in the morning till the time she went to bed at night, and we were working with them. And I told her at one point, Linda, I cannot eat every time you're hungry. And it was true. I could not keep up with the woman. If we went on a little trip in town to go do a, run an errand or come back, she had a snack bag with us. You want some? You want some? You want some? So anyway, but all that responsibility for feeding another person is heavy. And the truth is we don't need another thing to do. We may get tired and need to rest, but when we are mindfully fulfilling our purpose, it is not depleting. It is energizing. It is life. When we are, you know, even the mundane things, the things that are just routine, when we understand that there's purpose in what we do, and as parents, as mothers, as fathers, as grandparents, as aunts, as uncles, as friends, we are always feeding into the lives of other people. 
What we're, what are, so what are we serving? What are we doing that, that builds up the kingdom? We have to be mindful of these things. The Bible talks about losing our lives for his sake is where we find it. That doesn't sound, I never liked the sound of that, losing our lives. You know, and it didn't make a lot of sense when I was really young. I, I would think, what does that mean? But losing your life is you, losing your purpose, your aim, your goal, and trading it for his. And that's what the Lord wants us to do because that is where we're going to find our life. Because a lot of people are still looking for what's my, what, what am I about? What, you know, what am I supposed to do with my life? You already have a purpose. And when you begin to lose your life for his sake, that's when you find it. Jesus said of himself, he said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to do the will of the Father who sent me. When we eat our purpose, in other words, when we are mindful of it, we are strengthened, not spent. You know, when we realize what we're doing, when we realize how important every day that we spend with our families, with the people that we come into contact with, with our friends, our relatives, we have a purpose in relation. There's purpose in our relationship. And it's not just so that I can like you and you like me, but there's, there's a purpose, and I'm to be feeding into you, and you're supposed to be feeding into me. We're supposed to be ministering to each other. <clears throat> Remember this, and I had, to, I had to learn this in my life. I'm not here for everything. I'm here for a reason. And what is my reason? I'm not here to do everything that's out there to do. My goodness. I can watch these DIY things on, on video and think, oh, wow, I could do that. And 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 there's nothing wrong with those things. I remember a time in my life when we were very young in ministry and very, very poor. Those two words go together. I don't know if you know that or not. But we were very young and very poor. And I, was, I knew how to sew. I could sew my own clothes, and people couldn't tell that I made them. <laughs> that was wonderful. They'd, I'd say, they'd say, oh, where'd you get that? And I'd say, I made it. <laughs> I loved that. I loved doing it. I loved the creative part of that. I had a grandmother that lived with us. She taught me how to sew, and we would make all kinds of stuff together. And I could sew my own clothes. And I, I think I've shared this before with the ladies or some, at some point in time. But I was obsessed with fabric. <laughs> now, fabric in and of itself, is there's nothing wrong with fabric. I promise there's not. But I was so worried about it. And we were, one, one year we were getting ready to go to camp meeting, and that meant that I had to have about 12 outfits, church outfits to wear. I had about two. And so I was thinking, how in the world am I going to, I don't, I'm going to have to wear the same clothes over and over and over again. How am I going to do that? And I was worried about that. Uh, it seems silly, to, especially probably to guys, because they could probably care less. Most guys, not Paul. <laughs> My dad used to go on vacation, and he'd take two outfits. And a lot of times he came home, and he'd only worn the one <laughs> that he left in much to my mother's dismay. But um, the Lord spoke to me, and he said, you are spending too much time worrying about this. Why are you worried about this? What does the Bible tell us? It says not to worry. 
about what you're going to eat or drink. These days, when you listen to the news, you begin to wonder about the very same kind of thing. What am I going to eat and drink? What if, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if? But we're not supposed to worry about those things. And he said, if you just give that to me, I'll take care of you. And we went to, we lived in a little bitty town and had a little bitty mall. And in this little bitty mall, we would go there and just walk because they had a, a train thing that went around in the middle of it. And Jonathan loved it. And he was little. And we used to go there just to walk. We certainly weren't shopping. We didn't have any money. But I always liked to look. So I went in JCPenney's, and I was looking, and I looked at their clearance rack because Clarence is my friend. I looked at their clearance rack, and it said there was a dress there for $2.96. $2.96? I thought, oh, my goodness. I can buy that. I have $2.96. I bought that dress, and I went home. And I was so happy. I was so excited. I was like, Rob, look what I found. He was not nearly as excited as I was. But the Lord was proving himself to me. And he was saying, you don't worry about that. I'll take care of that. And I quit sewing. <laughs> I, I didn't quit sewing, but I did very much cut down on it. And I have quit sewing now. I can't tell you the last time I had my sewing machine out. But... We have to remember to keep the main thing the main thing. All the temporal little things around us are important, and they obviously have to be addressed. But what is the main thing in your life? What is the main thing in my life? What's cooking on your stove? Theodore Roosevelt was famous for saying, do what you can with what you have where you are. That is good advice. But you know what? Sometimes the cupboard is bare and there's not anything there to do anything with. It's hard to come up with a meal when there's an empty cupboard. So keep your cupboard full. You have to have something to work with. Psalm 27 and 13 says, I cried unto thee, O Lord. I said, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. My portion. You know what a portion is, don't you? It's a serving. He gave us himself as a serving to us. He's our portion. So I want to talk to you for just a minute about staples to keep in your cupboard. Are y'all bored? Are you sleepy? <laughs> staples for your cupboard. Jesus talk. Keep the conversation going. Talk to him. Talk about him. Because in his presence is fullness of joy. Invite him into your daily life. Everywhere you go, everything you do, he is, he can be right there with you. I love when Rob leaves the house and I'm there by myself because then, <laughs> will you please get me a Kleenex, Rob? Rob, give me a Kleenex, please. <laughs> Because I can just talk to, to God out loud, and, you know, he's not freaked out by it. Or saying, what? <laughs> so it gets a little noisy. You don't know this, but it gets a little noisy at our house when you're not there. <laughs> but I love to talk to him and keep my mental conversation going. 
keeping my mind stayed on him. And that's where the joy comes in, and that's where the peace comes in, because it's hard to think about Jesus and not feel good. Um, you know, I'm just like everybody else. I get depressed sometimes. I get very frustrated with my physical things that I'm dealing with right now because there's so much stuff that I want to do that I have not been able to do. It's very frustrating, and I get mad. And I've told God I'm mad about it. And then I've been ashamed of myself for being mad about it because there's people that deal with a whole lot worse than what I deal with. And I know that, and I think, you're so ungrateful. It could be so much worse than it is. But I find that if I go, there's, I don't know if you guys know this or not, but if you go on, online and you can go to YouTube, you can type in the word healing scriptures, and they will just speak the word. They will read the word, and they will just share the word. And sometimes when I have no words to left to give to God, I get that out, and I find one of those, and I sit and I listen. And if I'm up in the night because I can't sleep and I don't feel good, that's what's on my phone, and that's what's in my ears because I don't want to keep him awake. But it's the word just going over and over and over. And let me tell you something. The word is life. It changes everything. So Jesus talk. Talk about him. Talk to him. Read and reread the letter that he wrote to you because it's a love letter. The Bible, the word, is a love letter to you. Think about it, meditate it on, meditate on it because he is the lover of your soul. He loves us so much and there's so much wealth in the word of God and it will change your perspective and it will change your thoughts. And you know where change begins to happen in someone's life? Here. It's what we think. And then it starts to change what we speak. And it changes everything. The word is powerful. Third thing is attend church regularly. Because that's God's family plan. He calls us a family. And he put us in a body because he wants us to be a part of a family. When life gets hot... Sometimes people will jump right out of the frying pan that God was using to try to mature them, by the way, into the fire. And they'll get away from God and out of church, and they'll jump right out of the frying pan where God's trying to take you someplace. How many? I've done it. You know, I haven't quit going to church because I'm a pastor's wife. But uh, <laughs> I've jumped out of, out of it here because I, I wasn't engaged and I wasn't, wasn't there. But don't jump out of the frying pan that God is trying to use in your life. Because just because things get hard doesn't mean that God is not at work, because he is. And if we did not have hard things, we would never know who God is, because there would be no reason for him to prove himself to us. But we have to go through hard things sometimes. He said we would. He would. He did. And if we are going to know him in the fellowship of his suffering, which we will, you know, hey, when I, I learned some things growing up through spankings that I got from my parents. And sometimes God allows a spanking in our life for us to get our, to get our attention, to get, make us understand. 
But the fourth thing is to give regularly. Stay in covenant with God. Because God said, you give to me and I'll supply your need. That's what he said. And when we refuse to stay in covenant with him, giving, through our giving, it means that we're taking things out of his hands and trying to take care of them on our own. And I got to tell you, that is dumb. Because God will take care of his own. Count on it. Invest in his kingdom because it's your inheritance for this life and for all eternity. So when we invest in the kingdom of God, it's, really, it's for our benefit. It's our inheritance that we're investing in for this life and for eternity. And then the fifth thing is to serve regularly. And this is going to cost you. But you need to do something for the kingdom. There are a lot of people that go through life... Um, I. I Think about the story a lot of times of the little red hen. How many of you all read that book when you were kids? If you're old like me, I'm sure you probably did, but you may not have. But the little red hen finds seed in the ground, and she says to all of the animals in the, in the barnyard, she says, who will, help me? who will help me plant this seed? And everybody said, not I, said the duck, not I, said the pig, not I. And so she said, well, then I'll do it. And so she did it. And it goes through this thing all along where the plant grows, and then when the plant comes to fruition, she mills the wheat and she makes the bread and she says to all those that all along kept saying not I not I not I said the duck not I said the pig she says well who will help me eat this bread and they said I will and so many of the time so much of the time we have a lot of people that are in the barnyard (laughs) but they're not planting any seed and if we want to harvest in our lives we have to plant seed So do something for the kingdom of God. And everybody, I don't have a lot of talent. I don't have a lot of ability. Let me tell you something. Be faithful. You don't know how much that means to other people that are maybe struggling and they're having a hard time to see your faithfulness as an inspiration. Show up. How how many of you know that, like, when we come into church and the house is full, there's a different feeling, isn't it? But when we see, oh, that one's gone. Wonder what's going on with them. You know, where, where's that one? It's not comforting because you begin to, but when we're gathered together as a body, it is a comforting thing. So show up. Be faithful. Find something that you can do. Find a way to serve. Mark 9 and 35 says, if anyone wants to be first, he must be last of all and the servant of all. What time is it, Rob? How Am I getting late? Okay, well, if anyone wants to be first, he must be last of all and the servant of all. Nancy Lee DeMoss said, we are never more like Jesus than when we are serving him or others. There is no higher call than to be a servant. Serving's not easy, but it is rewarding in every way. These staples will help you. If you you keep those staples in your cupboard, Jesus talked reading and rereading the letter he wrote to us, attending church regularly, giving regularly, staying in covenant with him, serving regularly. If we do all of those things, it will keep hope alive in our own hearts. And it will help you to feed or serve others worthwhile and purposeful things to those around you. Be vigilant. Watch the pot and keep it stirring. Because Jesus is coming to get us soon. And we need to not be asleep. We need to be aware. We need to be vigilant. 
Hebrews 10, 24 through 20 and 25 says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You cannot look at the world and, the, and see the conditions. And, you know, someone, a, a, a newscaster that I heard the other day, and he's not a believer, but he said, you know, we're at the Sodom and Gomorrah place. And we are kind of there. Just look at the world conditions. So the coming of Jesus is coming closer and closer. And he didn't come, he didn't come to get a bride that was dirty and worn and bedraggled and discouraged and upset. He came to get a bride that was spotless and beautiful and serving one another. There is something that is so special about the family table. When our kids were young, it was a time to be in close proximity to each other, to share the happenings of our day. We used to do this thing. What was your highlight of the day? What was your low light of the day? We did that just to promote conversation between us. And there were a lot of funny things that happened at our family table. It's hot in here. Y'all hot? Can we turn the air down? I'm dying up here. Thank you. Thank you. But there, there were a lot of funny things that happened at our family table. Um, thank you, guys. Uh, and it's still one of my favorite times to be with my family. But when, we, when they were little, I mean, there were a lot of funny things that happened. You could count on Erin falling out of her chair at some point. She just randomly would fall on the floor. And we'd all say, what happened? I don't know. I don't know. Harper's done it a few times, but she's not as prone to do that as Aaron was. But Aaron usually would just fall out on the floor. And then Jonathan, who was a, a young man, a young growing boy, who in one year grew 12 inches. And that year, yes, I could not keep him in clothes or keep his mouth full. But during that period of time, he would sit down at the table, he would eat, and he would then we would say, you can't leave the table until everybody's eating, done eating. And he would, so then he would stretch himself out on the floor and we'd say, what are you doing, Jonathan? He would say, digesting. <laughs> so, so it was always, there's always fun things that happen around the family table. And I'm sure you have stories that you could tell of things that happened around your family table. But God has ordained this body of believers, the brothers and sisters, and we are identified as belonging to other, each other. And it matters so much that we gather at the table of the Lord together as a body, as a family. Matthew 5, 14 and 16 says, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Be aware and don't be afraid to call out what's unhealthy or unprofitable things in your life because remember, we're not here for everything. We're here for a reason. 1 Peter 5 and 8 says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. There's an Aesop's fable that... I want to read to you about the four oxen and the lion. A lion used to prowl about a field in which four oxen used to dwell. 
Many times he tried to attack them, but whenever he came near, they turned their tails to warn, toward each other. So that whenever, whenever whichever which way the enemy was coming, they would find the horns of one of the oxen. At last, however, they started quarreling amongst themselves, and each went off to pasture alone in a separate corner of the field. The lion attacked them one by one and soon made an end of all four. The moral of the story is united we stand, divided we fall. Another one, another little story. This short fable tells of a man whose sons often quarreled amongst themselves. To show them the benefit of working together, the father brought his sons together a bundle of sticks, and he asked them to break the bundle of sticks. And as he expected, the brothers couldn't break the bundle of sticks, and, but each of those sticks could be broken very easily individually. And the moral of this story is, do you not see how certain it is that if you agree with each other and help each other, it will be impossible for your enemies to injure you. But if you're divided amongst yourselves, you will no longer be, be no stronger than a single stick in the bundle. So keep the family table as an important part of your life. Keep the body of Christ as an important part of your life. We need that connection point. The, there are many instances in the Bible where it talks about they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers. And a lot of times when the body of Christ got together, they ate. It was about food. And what do we do when we get together? <laughs> we eat. It's about food. There's something about the, the atmosphere when you're sharing and, and eating and doing this. Um, but anyway, the Lord's Supper, what was that? Jesus had his disciples, those closest to him, gathered around him at the Lord's Supper, and he was sharing with them his heart. It was, it's a place of intimacy and a place of communion. When your family gets together, it's different than just gathering with other people because your family know you like nobody else. They have your history. Uh, they know that you fell out of your chair at dinner time all the time. They know the things that, about you and they love you. And far from what the news reports will tell you today, believers are not a minority. And it's not all a numbers game. We are the majority. Why is that? Because the king of kings is on our side. So it doesn't matter who's against us. He is for us. You guys remember playing Red Rover when you were kids? Remember the game Red Rover where you got two lines of people and they'd lock their arms together and they'd say, Red Rover, Red Rover, send so-and-so on over. And everybody would hold on tight and that person would come and try to break the chain. And you know what? We're playing Red Rover with Jesus and he's not letting go. We got to hang in there and hang on because he will see us through. We have the trump card. I don't mean anything political by that. Because Trump wins overall. It's not, he's our Trump. We win. We're going to win. We're winning now. And I want to just encourage you today that, that, you know, don't give up on doing what you're doing. Because what you do for the kingdom of God, even if it is just dragging yourself to church when you don't feel like it, it means something. Giving someone a smile giving someone a pat on the back, doing something that when you know someone needs something, try to, 
try to find a way to minister to somebody. Try to find a way. And when you change the focus from me, 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 what I need, what I want, what I need, it changes everything when we start thinking about what can I do? What can I do for somebody? What can, how can I bless somebody? Look for ways to bless others because that's life to the body. And, you know, if you got, it could be food. It could be, you know, whatever. Just a word of encouragement. You don't know what everybody around you is going through. You know, there's, you know, I've never been one that I like to tell everybody all my personal struggles because I don't even like to think about them. You know, but be assured, everybody's got some. Everybody's dealing with something. And you're important. You're an important key in the body of Christ. Um, you remember the old westerns where they would circle the wagons? You know, the Indians would be coming to attack, and they'd circle the wagons, and they'd make a place of safety. That's what the body of Christ is. We're the place of safety. So more than ever before, it's time to circle our wagons. Our, pool our resources and nourish your family. Um, I'd like for the worship team to come up. We're going to close the service here. But the greatest resource that you have to share with others is yourself. Are we going to have to fight this thing? Yes. But it won't be with carnal or earthly weapons of men's warfare. It's a spiritual battle that we will win together, that we will fight in the spirit together. And it's important that we cover our family with prayer and fight on your knees. There was a time in my life where I realized that for my children, you know, their grandparents loved them. They cared about them. They wanted to see them prosper. They wanted to see things good in their life. But there was spiritual battles that needed to be fought for them. And I, Rob, we were the ones that were going to have to fight them. And you know where we had to fight them? Not verbally. On our knees. And I learned to pray because my children were going through junk. And I knew that I had to touch God for them. And we need to feel that way about each other. Everybody's going through something. Everybody needs everybody. Uh, we're going to sing this song, and I want us to, um, if you will humor me, um, the family is depending on you. And we're going to sing this song that says, I need you to survive. We've sang it before. We did this a few months ago. But I want to sing it again. And I want you to, if you will, as, as we go through the song, it's a little lengthy, but sing with us. The words are going to be up. And I want you, if you will, just to come forward together, get close to each other. Put your arms around somebody. Hold somebody's hand. Let them know that you love them. Let them feel your presence and your prayers. And if you have a need in your life and you need prayer, and I know we already had a time of prayer, but if you have one of those needs that you don't really want to tell people about, but you just need some support, please come and and feel the presence of the body of Christ that loves you. Come on, guys. Let's go ahead and start the, start the video, if you will.
Let's sing together. Pastor. that means a lot. And I know that you love each other. This is the most loving congregation that we've ever been a part of. And I know that you love each other. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And I just want others that we have seen and known that need to be back in church. You know, it, it does a lot if, if pastor or I contact them. But there are some that they just need to hear from you. They need to hear that I love you. I miss you. I need you. And we do need each other to survive. I can't do it by myself. You guys are a strength to me. And you can't do it by yourself. We do need each other. I need Rob. It's hard for me to admit it. 